Welcome to the Career Academy series. This is exciting information today. We have Maria Brown and Mary Pat Rooney joining us today to talk about how to negotiate in the workplace. Here's what I'm really excited about. I'm excited to know what we should be negotiating when we're in the workspace. And also, what are some of the highs and lows and experiences that these two incredible women have had in order to prep us for what we should anticipate? So let's get started. Maria, Mary Pat, it's time. Welcome to the podcast. How are you all doing today? Good, thanks so much. You all, I have so many questions and like you have had so many work experiences where I've made mistakes. And I think what will be great about the work we're doing today is that we're going to give women some insight as to the highs and lows. And so before we start, I think the question that I have for you, Maria, first is what do you think we should be negotiating for? Outside of our salary, which I think is the obvious one, what else is on the list? There's absolutely other things, other things that you get from an employer that are on the table. And like you said, salary is the obvious one, but we can't forget things like vacation time, paid time off, work arrangements, such as being able to work from home or remotely. While right now in our present situation, that's kind of table stakes for a lot of professional jobs. But uh, let's say in the post COVID-19 world, that is absolutely something that you can bring up to an employer and negotiate for whatever you need to make your work arrangement mutually beneficial. And I would also add that things like stock options, bonuses, all of those things kind of go into the total compensation package. And therefore, they're, they're usually something that you can negotiate for in an employment situation. Hey, I've even had to negotiate to make sure I got a Mac over a PC. And I certainly negotiated for some professional development dollars. I think that the list is so long. And I think we forget beyond salary that there are things that don't even cost our employer a lot of money that they can do for us in return that are just some benefits like working from home, unless you live really far from the office and have to travel in. That is one of those things that maybe if you can't get it five days a week, can you get it two days or two and a half days a week? So I think the first step is thinking about the list. Mary Pat, what do you think? I think that you guys have both touched on really great points. I think it's really about doing your research, understanding what your employer already offers as a baseline. And then from there, seeing what levers you can pull. So if you don't get that negotiated salary that you were hoping for, what else can you go for? My personal favorite, Maria already touched on it, is that paid time off. As someone who is a big traveler, um, that's really, really helpful as you're booking those fantastic vacations or just a day to take a break. But I think that understanding the benefits as a whole is key in arming yourself with information so that you can negotiate in a way that's going to be beneficial to you in the long run. All right, y'all, we have to talk about the elephant in the room, which is why are women not negotiating at the same level or with the same intensity as some of our counterparts? What do you think is getting in the way of that pursuit of negotiation even when the list of options is really long. Y'all, I need some insider information. What do you have for me? Well, I would say that the likability factor is is very key here. Ooh, um, what do you mean by that? Well, 
we want to be liked. Mm. <laughs> many women, and, and I, I wouldn't say this is a blanket statement to every woman ever, but many women at their core do want to be liked by their peers and their employers. And there may be this perception of women that they are not going to be very likable or they are imposing upon the other party by asking for what they want, even if they are giving very valid reasons for why they should get what they're asking for, that self-perception or that fear of the perception of them as stepping over the mark or being unlikable is a very real factor in a lot of the decisions that women are making when it comes to negotiating for themselves. I think it's also fear of the consequence, right? You ask for what you want, you advocate for yourself, and it comes back and the answer is no. Well, nobody likes rejection. However, you miss 100% of the shots that you don't take. And so unless women as a whole can really meet our, frankly, mostly male counterparts where they've been for decades asking for what they want and deserve, we're never going to achieve those milestones. So I think it's Maria said it so well with wanting to be liked, not wanting to rock the boat, the fear of getting told no, or the fear of having that opportunity vanish because all of a sudden you've become disagreeable or what have you. But all of those things are things that we as women and people that are really making an impact in the work world and the general world, you know, we need to get over. We need to sort of practice our way out of it. And the first time it's going to be scary. And, you know, heck, the second, third and fourth time might be. But unless we start building that muscle memory and doing those reps, we're, we're never going to be able to advance. Yeah, I like what you said there in, in the terms of trying to understand what our fears are, that both of you are referencing the idea of likability as the, the number one thing that gets in the way. And we don't want to be disagreeable. And so we go, I'll skip the negotiation so that my likability factor is higher. And I think that the expectation is that people do negotiate. I often say to my girlfriends, listen, if you're not negotiating, I think it says something about you. It speaks volumes about your own confidence level and your ability to really want this job and think you're going to contribute because my guess is that you're team is going to want you to negotiate on behalf of the industry, the company, the organization, the nonprofit. And so if you can't do it for yourself, I think they're wondering if you can do it for them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. As a professional fundraiser, if I'm not willing to ask for money for myself, how on earth am I going to ask for it on behalf of the organization I represent? I think that is absolutely it. You've got to advocate for yourself because you are your most important human resource and you need to act as such. Oh, I love that phrase. You're your most important human resource. All right. Any other thoughts on why women are scared to negotiate? I actually had a great thought uh, or Mary Pat's response reminded me of a great thought that I once heard a few years ago and it's really stuck with me. And it was based on a study of women's behaviors when they were negotiating on behalf of themselves versus when they were negotiating on behalf of another party. And the takeaway from that was that they often did better when they were negotiating on behalf of somebody else and advocating for another party. So the advice that came out of this article that I was reading where the study was referenced was that if you think of negotiating on behalf of your future self, then perhaps you are going to be more likely to really go for what you want and advocate 
for your your future really and by future i i could mean six months from now five years from now or when you're retiring because so much of that negotiation especially early in your career can have a very you know large impact on you long term i love that ditto that's so smart that is so smart and what i really like is if i were in the room and i'm i'm on your team maria and i'm trying to get the best for you it's easy, but then it gets in the way when it's me. So how do we override that? I, I guess that's my next question to both of you. Then how do we override those fears? How do we overcome those fears so that we are negotiating all of the things on our wish list? One thing that I like to do when I'm feeling anxious or nervous about something is to write it down first so that I have some sort of a script to work from. And that exercise also really clarifies what your value proposition is and why you should get what you're asking for. So before going into a negotiation conversation, because presumably you know when you're going to do that, there's no reason why you can't write down all the reasons why you do deserve what you're asking for. And that can help you kind of focus that nervous energy <laughs> and, and be able to really you know, stand in front of it and really own that, like, hey, I'm asking for this thing. Here's why you should give it to me. And you don't feel so much like you're just sort of out there alone, trying your best to negotiate and advocate for yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great advice. That is great advice. And to sort of dovetail from that, the writing it down, also write down what your plan B is. So if you get a no on whatever it is you're asking, know what the next layer down is for you so that you are armed with information and sort of that that decision tree, for lack of a better term. Because I, Maria, I totally agree with you. Writing things down helps me bring clarity and it helps me practice. I also think, and I said this already, but you know, we have to advocate for ourselves as we are the only people that forever will be advocating for ourselves, right? Like we are and need to be our biggest cheerleader, advocate, and fan. And so sort of doing the the mind work to get yourself to a place, whether it is a fake it till you make it mentality or true, unindoctrinated passion for what you know that you can do, we need to, as women, kind of lead with that and, and be who we are and know that we're not asking for anything crazy. We're asking for what we really deserve. Yeah, and and it also impacts us long term. Mm-hmm. The the whole idea of what I negotiate for today impacts the next year, but it could impact the next five and ten years. I mean, Maria, don't don't you think that sometimes we think such short term I need the job, I need the money, I need the position title, I need that supervisor, and we go, I'm all in. But there are things that we're not thinking about long-term. Absolutely. And the thing that I come back to a lot when it comes to negotiation is the beauty of compound interest. It's the gift that (laughs) keeps on giving. (laughs) And and this is something that I like to point out when I uh, have a workshop that I have used with collegiate women on this very topic. And you can see on paper, in numbers, what the impact of even a 1% raise can do over the lifetime of your career. So let's say you are fresh out of school, you are about to accept your first job offer. Let's say it's $50,000 just for the sake of an example. And let's say you don't negotiate that first, that first salary. After 10 years, let's say you get 
a 1% raise, which is pretty modest. But let's say after 10 years, your annual salary is going to be about $55,000. Compare that to if you negotiated at the beginning to get $55,000 as your starting place, and then every year thereafter negotiated for an extra 1% on top of the initial 1%, so you get a 2% raise. Well, after the same 10-year period, you would be making $67,000. That's a difference of $11,000. That's a car. That's a couple vacations. Now, extrapolate that out over a 30-year career, we could be talking half a million dollars of difference. So a lot of that really has to be about, again, not just yourself today or this year, but where do you want to be 10, 20, 30 years from now? And the impact of negotiating all along can it can just absolutely be huge because of that sort of like compounding factor of negotiation. And every year you negotiate, you're negotiating on your old negotiated salary. So you're getting that much more out of it every time you do it. Yeah. And can you ask the question, what's the salary range? And can you go in and ask the question, what do I need to do to prove that I, I am worth more financially in six months and not just waiting a year? What are your tips around that piece if you don't get what you want up front? I think it's important to know before accepting an offer what the performance review cycle looks like. I frankly made the mistake at what employer, um, frankly, not even that long ago, that I didn't ask that question, presuming it would be like the rest of my employers and have an annual review period with the opportunity for perhaps a merit increase and hopefully a cost of living increase. Well, turns out that that employer does not have a performance review cycle. And so that salary that thankfully I had negotiated up from what they offered me by a modest amount, they just didn't do it. And so I did not stay at that position very long for lots of reasons, but that was one thing that I should have asked up front. And so knowing the cadence at which that occurs and the likelihood of receiving at least a cost of living increase, but then the opportunity for moving up in terms of salary range. What I also would say with this piece of it is truly understanding what your field looks like. So I work for a nonprofit organization. I've been in the nonprofit sector for my whole career. And frankly, it looks a lot different in terms of starting salary and what increases or bonuses look like, which frankly, in most cases, they don't exist frequently. And so understanding what your sector and your particular field looks like will arm you with information. So me going in and asking for what a counterpart working in banking might earn at the same kind of level of our careers would not go over very well. And I might not be taken seriously because of the differences within the field. So just understanding what that whole picture looks like will behoove you in the long term. That's great insider information. So what I'm hearing you say is that depending on your industry, that will really determine what salary increase you could expect, but also the cadence of which you could you could be negotiating for that raise. So my mom being a retired teacher, it was really not up to her performance alone. It was really up to the school district. And so for her to come in and be a rock star teacher was beneficial to her in some ways, but also she was limited in other ways. When you work for a bank, they may do performance reviews 
after every big project versus once a year or once every two years. So knowing the cadence, but also knowing what you should negotiate for. Maria, what other advice do you have for us in that area? I would say that another factor in the negotiation for sort of what is an appropriate salary range for you is also the geographic location. And there are huge differences between what somebody can reasonably ask for in a you know mid-sized city versus a major hub in technology, uh, that which is the space that I'm in. But it happens to be the financial services industry. You, when you intersect the the type of role and the, the city and the industry, you could come up with very different answers just depending on the circumstances. And frankly, there's no reason why you can't find out that information in this day and age because there are so many sites that offer calculators for this very purpose. Indeed, Glassdoor, there are absolutely ways that you can find out. And also taking that just a step further, if you are looking to possibly move for a job opportunity, check out what the cost of living is in that city as well. And that's also going to give you a good idea of what your salary requirements would be to live comfortably in that area. Hey, that's a great reminder. I think we think going to New York or LA or San Francisco would be off the charts. And also we think that, you know, there are some small cities that would be easy, affordable, and you'd be surprised at the difference in, in, in cities that we think would be affordable. And sometimes the insurance or the taxes or something else could throw you for a loop and take your whole entire paycheck, even if you get a big raise. So good reminder to all of us. Good reminder. Okay, here's what we need to know next. You all, let's say you're the woman sitting down across from the table or you're on the phone and it's time to negotiate. What are the tips that we need to know when we're in that space having that tough conversation? Well, as Maria has already said, and I totally echoed, you should have your plan written down. If you're on the phone, you can have it, heck, on your laptop screen, <laughs> slid, behind, <laughs> slid behind your Zoom camera. But if you're in person, I mean, I always carry a notebook with me, and that's where I would write down questions I want to ask about the job and the organization, but there is where I can have my plan. So the confidence of knowing you thought through things as well as Trying to, especially if you're in person or you can see someone reading their response, the vast majority of people don't have much of a poker face, at least in my experience. I could <laughs> be wrong and I'm happy to be corrected. But seeing what their face looks like or their body language when you start to bring up the conversation of compensation, both salary and benefits, um, I think that having the confidence to know that you are worth this and you are not asking anything that is, you know, out of turn. This is what professionals do. I'd like to add on to that. There's this concept called anchor high. And what that means is that negotiators or the parties in a negotiation tend to anchor on the first figure that was put forth. So when you are going through this process, whether you are in person or on the phone, dealing with uh, perhaps an HR representative versus the hiring manager, you need to kind of play the game of who puts out the first figure. And sometimes you might be asked for this figure, maybe even early on in the process. I uh, have tended to get the advice, and I would agree with this, uh, which is to 
maybe push that conversation down the road a bit until you have learned more about the position and the employer has learned about you and your background. But once you get to that point where you're ready to negotiate, when you anchor high, that that is sort of the starting point. And if you put that anchor just past the range that you would find acceptable, you're giving room to the other party to counter offer. And chances are they are going to land somewhere in your range because you have kind of put your anchor point just beyond it. And fun fact, the opposite is also true. My husband and I bought a pre-loved car earlier this year. And <laughs> when uh, when it came time to talk about money, I anchored lower than we were prepared to pay. That gave the dealer room to counter offer. If you start right there in the middle of your range and you get a counter offer, guess what? You're going to be at the bottom of your range or maybe even fall out of it altogether. And then you don't really have a whole lot of room or you might have to start falling back on your plan B or C or the other things that you (laughs) might, you know, might not have been prepared to negotiate for. But now you kind of got to bring those up if you really want to pursue this opportunity. Ooh, this is fascinating. This is great insider information. Where have you been for all of us all of our lives? (laughs) Because there is a science to negotiation beyond the art of it. The art of it is that likability factor that we talked about before. We certainly want to help people that we like or that are in need. But the idea of the science behind it, understanding terms like the anchor money point and using some of those negotiating skills along the way can make a really big difference. The advice that I really liked to Maria is that you said, push the conversation about money down the line. Why do you think that's so important? Why should we be doing that? I think it's important because at the very beginning, let's say when you're going just through the application process and you're asked about salary expectations, you haven't learned anything about this role yet, or you've learned what you probably saw from a job posting. Perhaps if you had an insider in this position or in the company, you might get a better idea, but you really do need to know the full breadth of what you are expected to do. And through the interview process, you are going to be able to suss out maybe some things that weren't on the job application or on the job description that you realize, oh, I have a little something to bring to the table or I have something that it sounds like they really need or I can solve this very specific problem. And that gives you a leverage point. So by anchoring or maybe it's not anchoring, but by stating a salary requirement early in the process, you might have actually been able to move your needle a bit further if you waited until later in the process when you really have a true picture of what the job is, what they're offering, what the benefit package looks like. And and that is why it's usually a good idea to push that conversation off down the road. Now, this may also vary by industry or by role. If you're going into perhaps like say public service sector, government position, a lot of those tend to have very clear salary grades and very clear ranges. So this might not work for every industry or every job type, but in general, kick the can down the road until you've got much more information to arm yourself with when you get to the negotiation conversation. So be likable, but also be firm 
and Mm -hmm. be the person they want to hire and also the person that they're willing to go fight for. But don't talk about money too close to the beginning because you're on a search to find out what they need and what you can offer. Mm -hmm. And then hopefully that conversation will lead to a higher salary as a result of that length of conversation. Mary Pat, what's on your mind? What are you thinking about? Well, listening to Maria's answer, like, yes, slam dunk, totally. I also think that to use a phrase that we've all become familiar with, it's a mutual selection process, right? So you are interviewing them just as much as they are interviewing you. And I loved Maria's really positive spin on a position, knowing that, oh, they need this specific skill set that I have. I've also been in situations where it's like, oh, this job is really much larger than you are making it out to be, and therefore I will need to be compensated at a higher level, right? Those are things that can be going on in the back of your head. And so waiting until you're kind of at the, for lack of a better way of saying it, decision time for both parties really allows for you to fully think through, you know, what is it going to take for you to jump in and be an engaged, awesome employee and feel really good about how you're being compensated for being a part of that team. And I think it just depends on what you've learned throughout that process. Mary Pat, what happens though when you don't get what you think you deserve? And and let me also add this component. Sometimes I still have to take the job because I need the professional experience, but also I need the paycheck. And so I may get a really low paycheck and but I'm in a new city or I haven't had an offer in six months or a year. So how do you balance all of that? And and most particularly, if you don't get what you want, what are your options? That's a great question. So if you are in the position where this opportunity is something you need to take, whether they meet that salary requirement or that really important, you know, headline that you needed or wanted, I think that the key is to speak with whomever you are going to be working with and share with them what you're hoping to gain. So maybe it is that on the list of duties, you will not be managing anyone. Well, if that is a skill set that you are looking to develop, say, to your new manager upon that conversation or what have you to say, you know, this is a skill set I really want to learn and develop. So as we continue to work together, you know, I'd love to shadow you or learn from your experience in whatever way it is. I used management as an example. In the event that you are not under the gun and do not have to accept the role, um, I would say really evaluate whether it is something that you are interested in doing. So you're taking that lower paycheck, but it is another title level up from where you were, or it's utilizing a different set of skills that you had developed in your former position. So therefore, this role, even though not maybe having the compensation you would really want, will provide you the opportunity to become more well-rounded. So it's really understanding that, you know, as they said on, you know, friends, the pros and cons list for each of these decisions. And frankly, nothing is permanent. So when you make these decisions, they are important, but there's no saying that you can't continue to put your feelers out there and look for another great opportunity while you are learning and growing within your current role. That sounds great. That's great advice. I think we're learning so much today. I've got a few more questions before we tie this up. What are the things that we need to know that you have particularly learned along the way so that we can avoid some of those pitfalls 
Maria, can I start with you on this one? Oh, boy. I I have been sitting here thinking about a very, uh, just an absolutely terrible experience I had when it came to salary negotiations. This was uh, in a in a previous company, and I had just recently finished my MBA. And I think I, I strode into the office expecting to be greeted with confetti, maybe a cake, and just a big fat new paycheck. And I sat down and had a conversation with my boss, their boss, and our HR business partner, in which I was to learn what my new salary would be, uh, because this actually happened to coincide with an evaluation period. When I saw the figure, I was disappointed. It wasn't really what I had in mind. And because they had made that initial offering, then I was kind of on the back foot and would have had to respond with, you know, what I felt I deserved. Now, in that moment, I was not prepared. I didn't really come with the hard facts of what I had contributed, what somebody of my experience level, my now education level and skill set, what I felt was fair to make in that situation. And so therefore, really all I was able to do in that situation was express my discontent. And I don't recall exactly what I said. I like to think I was very professional about it, but I made it pretty clear that I was disappointed with the salary that I was now making, which was an increase. Uh, and I just didn't, I didn't feel that it was appropriate for, you know, what I had just accomplished. And so to see the looks on the faces in the room, uh, it was a really deflating moment. It, it was really difficult. And I got to tell you what I actually ended up doing was going back to one of my business school professors who taught the negotiations course that I had taken and told him what happened. And I really expected him to just back me up and give me a shoulder to cry on and tell me that they were they were crazy. That's not what he said. He, he reminded me, and as I remind myself and anyone listening to this, that there is that human factor. And the three people in the that office room who I respected very much and enjoyed working with and had developed a wonderful relationship with up to that point, they were excited to offer me this salary. And I had basically taken out a pin and popped that balloon and really sort of deflated all the energy in the room. And what I ended up doing was actually going back to each person individually and apologizing for my reaction. And I, I want to say I didn't apologize for believing I had deserved a higher salary because I still did believe that. But I still, because it was a current employment situation, I had a relationship that I still needed to work with and repair a bit. So I, I learned a lot from that experience, which was, again, go in prepared with the facts, do your research, understand if you feel that you really do deserve a certain salary, be prepared to back it up. 
with facts and figures. And oh, by the way, maybe you actually come out with that first. So I knew when this compensation conversation was to take place, I could have done the research beforehand and come prepared with that figure or had maybe even discussed it with my boss one-on-one beforehand so that at least we could have had that conversation even if they were not going to give me a higher salary it still, I think, would have led to a much better outcome in that conversation overall. And the ending of that story was, you know, I had that conversation one-on-one with each person, expressed what I was feeling, and and we had a very nice discussion about it. And about three months later, I ended up leaving and got uh, an 11% pay increase. Uh, But (laughs) that's another story (laughs) for another day. Nice. Maria, I, listening to that story first, oh gosh, I'm like, I cringed with you when I imagined that disappointment that you had, but want to say kudos for being woman enough to walk up to people that you did respect and say, you know, I, I didn't handle that as well as I could. That is really hard. And that is likely why you have the experience that you do because you are, gracious and smart and frankly know when to say that, hey, that wasn't awesome. So kudos to you for making the hard next step and being like, eee, uh, maybe not. We have to know, Mary Pat, I've made a thousand mistakes. Are there things that you can share with us about the mistakes that you've made that you can help us get past a few of them or override a few of them or help us not make those mistakes? Oh my gosh, I think that it would be wonderful if people could learn from the bevy of mistakes that I've made along the way. I think that one of the biggest mistakes I made in negotiating is early in my career, especially within development in the nonprofit world, I didn't negotiate. I was so gall darn happy to get a job. Um, I graduated from college in 2008 where you couldn't find a job with two hands and a flashlight. So coming from eight part-time jobs, yes, folks, eight at the same time, I was so gosh darn excited to work somewhere that I had benefits and a salary. So I made the mistake of not asking as many in-depth questions, of doing research on what the sort of going rate was. And it all harkens back to Maria's fabulous point earlier of the impact of compound interest in terms of your salary over the years. I definitely am still feeling that. I'm not at the same level as uh, peers of mine in other industries at my age, which again, different industries, but had I have thought more strategically when looking for that first opportunity out of grad school, I would have likely been further ahead. I will also say that I did not do a great job of negotiating those sort of work-life balance moments, like a day working off-site or the ability to make my own schedule that synced up with when I was most productive, right? I'm an I'm a early bird, so I always like to get my work done really early in the morning, and by four o'clock, boy oh boy, I am dragging. And so I should have asked for things like that or ensured that my supervisor and the hiring manager was willing to work with me on those things. So I think that those are some big flags that I had early on in my career. When Maria was talking about coming armed with information, especially when asking for a raise, I always keep a positive feedback folder 
in my inbox. And anytime someone, especially those, you know, that I'm working collaboratively with or my supervisor or, you know, the CEO or whomever, I throw those things into a folder. And when it comes time to performance review, of course, I'm sharing the data of, you know, what did I accomplish against my goals, but also sharing that feedback that I received saying, hey, you did a good job or this was above and beyond because those things will help then arm you for the negotiation at those yearly check-ins. And I found a lot of success. I've asked for a raise a couple of times and one time I got the actual raise I requested, which to be perfectly truthful, uh, no one was more surprised than I. Um, and, <laughs> and it was because I had that, of course, the data points, but also comments from people that my manager respected saying that, yeah, I was worth it and should be receiving an increase. Yeah, that's brilliant advice. I got the same advice and I also keep the same folder in my inbox just as a reminder sometimes when I'm having a bad day too <laughs> totally. and everybody totally. thinks that I'm the worst, then I can go to back to that folder. But it's just a good reminder to say to my other clients, Hey, listen, there are a lot of people that are working with me and here are the great things that they're saying. And it's not coming from me. It's coming directly from them. Okay. You all let's do one more question here. What I need to know is what would you say to somebody who's negotiating at their first position. Mary Pat, what advice do you have for that first heartbreaking, heart beating, can't breathe, the deodorant is not working kind of negotiation? <laughs> I think it's the same thing that Maria and I both have said throughout the conversation is do some research and write it down. Practice, whether it's with your roommate, with your parents, with your mentor, with somebody that you trust their opinion and they are willing to perhaps role play being a little bit persnickety, if that's a way that we could describe it. I think that practicing the language is also really key because then it's not you reciting what you read on a, you know, job resource webpage, but it's what you believe and think. So practicing so that you're confident. And I know this sounds so silly, but whatever it is that makes you feel like a million bucks and that you could take on the world, do that before you go in. Whether it is a particular outfit, a pair of shoes, a pump-up song, a certain breakfast, whatever it is that sort of gives you those, you know, those Wheaties commercial feelings, do that in advance and realize that this is the beginning of a really incredible, awesome journey and ask for what you deserve and be ready to roll with the punches when they come, but you've got this. I, that is so insightful. Amy Cuddy in her TED Talks speaks to this, speaks to the body language in the poses that women can make so that they are in a performance position, that they're in a confident position, that they're, uh, she talks about this, Amy Cuddy does, be the peacock at the zoo the one that takes up the most <laughs> amount of space. Totally. And I think this is great. I mean, today I was teaching a course and I looked tiny in my screen and I remembered that I teach confidence to women. So I actually took my arm and draped it over the table next to me and then my, my left arm and draped it over the back of the chair. When I'm in a negotiation situation for anything, including ice cream, what I'm really <laughs> thinking about is like, how do I take up space like Amy Cuddy teaches us? Because what she says is it changes our brain the way that we carry ourselves. And so those things, and I am known to play some really, really bad music that really pumps me up before I keynote speak because it changes the chemicals in my body, which is what I need to be awesome at what I do. 
Absolutely. I just I'm just picturing the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt where Kimmy is practicing her uh, power power stance and pose. Yes. That that is a power stance. Very true. Yeah. Especially if you find yourself in a situation where you are doing this all over video conference or by phone. Well, they might see you if you're on video conference, but if you're on the phone. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you can do whatever it is that works for you. Absolutely. That's exactly right. All right, Maria, to you, what is that? One or two bits of advice that you'd give to the person who's negotiating for the first time. The first time, I'm gonna I'm gonna use the first timer out of school example. I think that we need to keep in mind the things that we bring to the table, the experience that we gain, the skills we develop start long before we get our first formal offer of employment. And especially to this audience, presumably they are sorority women and may have had all kinds of opportunities throughout their chapter experience, through work study, jobs that they held while they were in school to build those skill sets that somebody who may not have joined a Greek letter organization or perhaps didn't have a you know four-year college education might not have had the opportunity to get. So when you're going into these situations and you're trying to project to the world, this is what I bring to you. Remember that the things that you didn't necessarily get paid for are absolutely part of your arsenal. So whether you held a leadership position in a chapter organization or had a supervisory role in the part-time job you held throughout school, that all goes into the reasons why you should be hired by that employer. Taking it to another example of somebody who has perhaps stepped out of the career scene or maybe has been working all along, but just hasn't flexed their negotiating muscles yet. Really, it just comes back to a lot of what we've been saying, which is doing the research. If you are confident in the facts and you know exactly what your value proposition is, and then you pair that with a power stance, like ain't nothing stopping you. Let's do the power stance for all the women of the world. We need to give energy not only to ourselves when we're negotiating. I also think we need to be showing up for other women mm-hmm. when when we are in the position to help sponsor them, to promote them, to help them get their next raise, to give them that insider information that we have on being good negotiators at this point in our career so that they too can get that compound interest mm-hmm. and start making the money early on. Thank you so much to both of you. I've got tons of notes from our time today and some things I need to look up. I'm going to be doing some research on this anchoring topic that you brought up, Maria, so I can learn some new ways to negotiate with my own business. You all, I have learned so much. I've got lots of notes that I've taken on my own pieces of paper over here in my office I've got some things I need to look up to. Maria, I loved when you talked about anchoring on that first figure, that first dollar figure, whether it comes to a car or negotiating for your job. And I think that the biggest takeaway for me is that we need to write some things down before we go into the meetings and have a strategy in advance. So kudos and graciousness and thank you to both of you. I appreciate you all so much. Thank you so much. This has been wonderful. Thank you. Yes, this was a lot of fun. And let's close with the fact that as women, we need to support other women through their process. We have some mad skills. We've got some development and experiences that we have. And I think our 
pay it forward moment, my aha or big takeaway really is to say, how do I help other women when I see them in the workplace and they're not negotiating or they're not asking for that raise? So my focus is really going to be on how do I be a better negotiator, but also how I support other women in a stronger, more fierce way. You all, I hope you had your seatbelts on. That was a wild, incredible ride learning about some of the highs and lows that Maria and Mary Pat had about negotiating and some of the things that they wish they would have done differently. If you need to know any more information, these two incredible women have really shared with us some of the tips like how to anchor a salary conversation and how to prepare and strategize. I'm ready for the next steps. Hope you all are too. Thanks for joining us on the Career Academy series, and we'll see you on the next podcast. This Career Academy series is brought to you by Kappa Kappa Gamma, hosted by Aaron Murphy Fisher and produced by me, Ryan Gannon. Special thanks to today's guests, and a very special thank you to Kim Mirabelli, Villanova, whose generous support makes this programming possible.